0: have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we will be in verse 29 and 30 this morning. Let's read those verses right now. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. but only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, Father, I confess my own failings in using words, and using words in a way that glorify you, in words in a way that build up, in words in a way that fit the occasion, in words using words in such a way that they only give grace to those who hear. Father, I'm sorry for grieving the Holy Spirit. Father, may we humbly look at these two verses this morning. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Let's take a look at these two verses. Words, words, and more words. The daily rhythm of communication, especially spoken word. Some of us say too many words, some of us say too few words. Some of us use big words. And some of us use little words. Some of us just have to get words off our chest. Some of us can't seem to find the words. Some of us speak only concerned about today and this moment. And some of us speak words towards eternity. We all have words and we all use them to accomplish what our hearts most greatly desire. Always. Every word that comes out of our mouths is aimed at accomplishing Whatever we most want in the moment that those words come forth. We always say things consistent with accomplishing our plan for the day. In relationships, we use words to serve others. And yet most of the time, I'm afraid we use words to simply serve ourselves. For many of us, as long as I don't tell a big lie, maybe say a cuss word, and Lord forbid, use God's name in vain, then the words that come out of my mouth are okay, they're acceptable to the Lord. As long as I can checklist and make sure that i do not telling big lies, I'm not saying cuss words, and I'm not saying the Lord's name in vain, then I'm good to go. This verse is good. It's an encouragement. Awesome. Checklist. We can move on to verse 31. In this passage, God, through Paul, is telling us that our spoken words carry significant importance in fact we're going to see in this passage it helps us see that our words have a redemptive impact that they have a role to play in your redemption and my redemption In fact, words are meant to be used by God's people exclusively for gospel flourishing and that's it. Period. And because they play that role, the first thing we need to know is this. Unhelpful talk. Should never come from your mouth. Unhelpful talk should never come from your mouth. I don't care the context. Whether it's father to son, it's church member to church member. It's employee to employer. It doesn't matter. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. This is without exception. No corrupting talk whatsoever. And that means with nobody whatsoever. Corrupting talk. If you're taking notes and You want a cute little sub-point here? Corrupting talk, we're going to define this and start, start understanding what does he mean by corrupting talk. Let's get at this. Corrupting talk is anything unhelpful, particularly to the flourishing of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Corrupting talk is anything unhelpful to the flourishing of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now certainly that extrapolates out to your lost friends and co-workers and such. You certainly don't want to do that. This this has application there. Just He's talking specifically here though about those within the church. Particularly as talking and words pertain to unity. Now let's talk about this word corrupting. The word is defined as rotten, putrid, filthy talk, okay? Rotten, putrid, filthy talk. Corrupting, in the New Testament, is used to refer to like rotten fruit. You can look at Matthew 7. Or rotten rotten fish in Matthew 13. So there's the word corrupting. Something that's rotten, putrid, filthy, disgusting. But let me, let me help you though. Let me help you read your Bibles right. Okay? Let me help you read your Bibles right. You don't even have to go to a dictionary to understand what he means by corrupting. You don't need to know the Greek language to understand what he means by corrupting. You just have to read the next phrase. He says, but only... Such as is good for building up. Now we've already heard this. I'm not going to go back and, and 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 rehash all of this idea of building up because he's defined that already in chapters two and chapters three of Ephesians. What is this idea of building up the body? But what he's doing here is he again is juxtaposing these two ideas. He is saying this one is not like this one. What are the differences between the two? So this idea of building up, we'll talk about a little bit more as we get to that in the passage. But in Ephesians 2 verse 22, he says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So at the very least, corrupt talk then is anything that does not aid in the construction of this dwelling place For God, any conversation, any words that come from our mouth that do not aid in the construction of this dwelling place for God. He says that no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up. You see, I think we need to understand the weightiness of our words. Eugene Peterson is quoted in a chapter uh, we're going to talk a little bit more in a, in a little bit later by that Paul Tripp wrote that's really helpful on this idea of talking. But Eugene Peterson who wrote the, uh, the message, the paraphrase, the message of the Bible is quoted in Proverbs 18.21 saying this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. He's paraphrasing Proverbs 18, but I think he gets right at the point. Our words are either going toward life or they go toward death. That's why I think Paul draws this distinction here. It's not, let me give you two extremes and then try to find a happy medium. No, he's saying anything in this category is not okay, and anything in this category is certainly okay. He's not trying to help us find a middle ground here for our words of what might be acceptable. He's saying, no, only that which is in this category is acceptable. What are he saying? Words that corrupt are words that give death, that kill. But those words, they give grace and are building up they give life. To say it differently, corrupting talk is anything that does not nourish others toward faith and Christ. We think about little kids. Think about what you feed them, right? Think about what you feed them. Something drives this is a little bit of a drives me crazy thought here. Uh, is in our day, here's what we do, we stick kids in front of a television, we give them lots of sugar, and then we wonder why they run around crazy and need Ritalin, okay? That just blows my mind. Or any other selection or cocktail of drugs to help calm them down. Now certainly there might be cases for that, but I'm saying, listen, what are you feeding them? You're feeding them things that are not helping them flourish. You're feeding them things that that are killing them. And I don't mean the food. I'm saying what's what's coming out of them then leads them towards destruction. So the words we say should give nourishment. Just like a child needs food that would nourish them. He's saying no harmful talk at all, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. The second thing I want you to see is that this corrupt talk that he's talking about comes from a corrupt heart. Corrupt talk comes from a corrupt heart. Here's what happened. And we're going to define, we're going to keep working, we're going to keep working through this definition of what is corrupt talk. But I need you to see that corrupt these, these two pieces, that corrupt talk is things, anything that is not building up other people to life and flourishing in the gospel, and that that corrupt talk is coming from your heart. See, we like to bra- blame our corrupt talk on everything else. I am going to talk about this a little bit more, but we want to blame... Our corrupt talk on our circumstances or our lack of ability to talk, our skill in communication, these things we like to blame. But Luke 6.45 says this, the good person, Jesus, Jesus is talking about the fruit here. He says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. There's a great quote on this. You've heard me quote this before by Paul Tripp. He says, Our problem with words is not primarily a matter of vocabulary, skill, or time. Have you ever said, Oops, I didn't mean to say that? He says, Often it would actually be more accurate to say, I'm sorry. I said what I meant. If the thought, attitude, desire, emotion, or purpose hadn't been in your heart, it wouldn't have come out of your mouth. We need to own the connection between our thoughts, desires, and our words. The real problem with our communication is what we want to say and why we want to say it which ultimately has nothing to do with skills in language so we need to own this connection that corrupting talk comes from a corrupted heart that's second subpoint third one We most often, if we're going to, again, we're pressing into defining corrupting talk here. We most often, I'm afraid, limit the definition of corrupting talk to cussing, vulgarities, and maybe using the Lord's name in vain. Keep that thought right there. Most of us, don't have a biblically informed understanding of words. And I'm going to show that to you by using the example of cussing. Okay? Where in the Bible does it say that the S word is wrong? Where does it say it? Where does it say that it's wrong to say the S word? Now, kids, if your mom and dad say it's wrong, that's where it says it's wrong. Now, whether or not your mom and dad understand why the Bible says it's wrong, that's what I'm talking about right now. Just so we're clear, I want mom and dad getting mad at me. All right, you'll get mad at me in a second. Where does the Bible say that it's wrong? That's the wrong. It's not okay to say that word. Or any other selection of curse words. Honestly, for most of us, it comes from the first chapter of mom and dad. But you're no longer underneath mom and dad. Or from the first chapter of First Baptist Church of so and so. Because we need a richer theology of what language is acceptable for a Christian and what language isn't. Instead of a cute legalistic checklist to maintain our own self-righteousness when it comes to language. That's what most of us have. Nothing more than the Pharisees had. If you can't tell me biblically why it's wrong to say the S word, and yet you maintain that it's always sinful to say it, then you might just be a Pharisee with your list of rules that are not in the Scriptures. This passage is telling us this: that anything short of grace to those who hear it is sinful. Anything short of that. Now, for many people in the world, listen to me. I, I know you may not believe this. Okay, just you may have to trust me on this one. For many people in the world, saying a cuss word is no less gracious than any other words. So you can't say that to use a cuss word in that context is wrong. Paul is helping us here with a theology of language. Now listen, I'm going to say this phrase two times. I think it's really important. For many of us in this room, our lack of clarity in speaking the gospel, is less gracious to others than saying any choice of cuss word. At your workplace, with your neighbor, your lack of clarity or even lack of sharing the gospel or lack of ability is more offensive than if you were to say a cuss word. And I'm telling you that that you are offending God more than if you would just say a cuss word. And yet we think that if I just don't say cuss words, that then the speech that comes out of my mouth is okay. You see what that makes us Pharisees? That makes us Pharisees, guys. That's where we say, as long as I don't get the ox out of the ditch, then I'm okay. I've maintained the sound. I'm missing the point. for many of us our lack of clarity in speaking the gospel is much less gracious to others than saying any choice cuss word we most often limit corrupting talk to cussing vulgarities and such I guess but corrupting talk is much greater than just cursing we're using vulgarities. Let me give you a list, okay? For some of you, are going to love this. For some of you, it's going to feel legalistic. Get over it. Corrupting talk is this. Here we go. Lying. Let's just roll right through this. Lying. Lying is a corrupting talk. Some of you, I mean, I'm not too naive. I'm sure there are habitual liars even in our midst this morning. Some of you stretch the truth, some of you make up reasons for why you don't want to do things. Or you stretched the truth. Listen, if you stretched the truth, it's no longer the truth. It's a lie. Hey, Like, listen, that's the way Satan works. You understand that? There's always a measure of truth in everything Satan says. So just because you have a measure of truth in there, doesn't make it okay to say it. Second, abusive language it's corrupting talk abusive language for many of you this is when you get behind closed doors with those who are closest to you abusive language language that tears people down or how about this is this, this one how about manipulation that is nothing more than abuse Manipulating the situation. Using words to bring about in the situation what you want by, determined by your selfish desires. Getting people to make you happy. You know, a lot of times where abusive language comes out is Is in our very emotionally driven, even tearful moments. It's not always the most vocal, yelling person. It could be subtle, abusive language. Next, vulgar references, vulgarities, vulgar references. Anything that degrades what God says is good. So let me give you, let me help you, mom and dad. Why should your kids not use curse words? Or why should you not use curse words? Well, uh, we're asking, let me back up, because I don't think that's the right question to ask. I think the question should be asked, first of all, what words are unacceptable? Okay? So if we're asking that question... And now think about curse words. Think about which words, and, and I, I know for some of you this is going to make you uncomfortable, but think about which curse words are vulgar in nature. Okay? Now I'm sorry if that made you feel very uncomfortable, but we need to think about this. If it's vulgar in nature, then it's unacceptable. It's not unacceptable because it fits into this category of curse words that your mom and dad never let you say, and so you should never say it's unacceptable because it degrades something that God made good. There's lots of cuss words that speak of particularly like sexual vulgarity, like and degrade something that God said was good. Now we have to be careful because there's also words that we are that are acceptable in general conversation that have even slight connotations of vulgarness. Those are not okay. Those are corrupting talk. So mom and dad, if you want to help your kids understand this, tell them what the Bible says. Vulgarity. These things are wrong because they speak poorly of something that God has made good, particularly in reference to sexuality. Next, vicious and unkind words. Vicious and unkind words. I think for most of us here in this category need to understand that tone and length of sentence have everything to do with viciousness and unkindness. So we're going to we're going to talk more about today this but you know that old adage that uh, we need to think before we speak? I don't want that to be the point you walk away with. So if that's the only thing you're going to remember, I'm sorry. I, I, that's, that's not the Bible. I mean, well, it's part of it. It's, just, it's much deeper than that. Because the problem is not that you just need to think before you speak. You probably need to think and then repent for what you were wanting to say and then speak what you should say. Okay. Harsh tones. We can say true words and make it corrupting talk with the harshness of our voice. A lot of times our viciousness and unkindness is not in long orations, right, where we're speaking forever. Most of the time it's in little short snips at our wife, at our friends, at our kids, from across the room. Vicious and unkindness. Let's keep pressing. Gossip. Gossip. Gossip is corrupting talk. Guys, gossip is not simply speaking negatively about someone else. I, again, I think we have a poor theology of gossip as well. I'm not going to get into all of that. We think I, shouldn't just, I should just never say anything negative about someone else to someone else without the other person present, of which I'm speaking, right? Do you remember Follow me over there? We shouldn't say anything negative about someone else to a third party without the one to who we're speaking of being present, as if it would be okay if we said it to their face, just for the record. Gossip is speaking about someone else in any way that is unhelpful to that person. In any way. And I think that's where we get into more what is biblical gossip. So I can go speak, say for example, to Rusty, about someone else's sin if my intent is to seek counsel or is to do what is good for that person. I don't believe that fits into the category of gossip. I'm not going to jump into that any further. That also takes a good measure of wisdom and discernment as well. But gossip, gossip. And we have to be careful because we can imply things with what we say that is just as much gossip as if we had explicitly said it. Husbands, I would encourage you, this means your wife too. You can gossip to your wife. about So just because she's your wife, or your wife, just because he's your husband, doesn't mean that the idea of gossip or the idea of corrupting talk about someone else to your spouse is okay. It doesn't mean that just, the, just open the floodgates of your words and you can just let whatever come out because nothing's off limits. Next one. Slander. Slander. I think this is an easy one because this is probably on our checklist. So long as I'm not saying slanderous things, this makes me a non-corrupting, non-corrupt speaker. There you go. I think slander helps also with understanding gossip. Again, slander may not be so overt. It could be simple questioning. I'm just... Just questioning what that other person is doing. Huh. I mean that sounds harmless, right? And you're doing this to your other friend about so and so over here, or about the leadership in any situation where that's work or the church, or it's dad with one of the children about mom. Let's keep pressing. Pain's not over yet. Exaggeration. Exaggeration. Misrepresenting a situation. You exaggerate the circumstances. This kind of goes back to the lying thing. Your exaggeration is not simply a stretch of the truth. It's become a lie. If you misrepresent the situation, you're speaking in a corrupt manner. You're not representing the truth. Let's keep going. Let's press in a a little further. Negativity. Negativity. Always talking about the bad things. Very easily fits in the category of corrupting talk. Think about how, again, if our working definition of corrupting talk is anything that doesn't build up, then how does negativity fit in the category of building people up? It doesn't. Now, I'm not talking about helpful, loving critique. That's different. Some of us just have a temperament of negativity. And we need to understand that our negative speech is connected to our sinfully negative heart. Again, all of these Exaggeration, a lack of representing the truth well, slander, gossip, vicious, unkind, is all coming from something inside. It's not just something you just need to watch your tongue. Yeah, you need to watch your tongue, but you watch your tongue by tending to your heart. More on that in a bit. Lack, another one, lack of clarity. Lack of clarity. It's not listen it doesn't build other people up when you are unclear with your words. When you misrepresent the truth of scripture that doesn't build other people up whether that's to the church or to co-workers or it's just or maybe if you just speak generally unclear Lack of clarity does not build people up. Now, I know most of you guys are thinking, well, I don't don't have time to study a dictionary. Well, I mean, first of all, maybe you should. But that's not functional. That's not first and foremost the problem, okay? The problem is most likely that your heart does not love the truth and clarity. Because if your heart did, then you would either study the right words so that you could use them, or you would say fewer words and use them well. Lack of clarity. When you speak without clarity, you can corrupt way more than any stupid curse word. Last example is this. Sarcasm. And I'm sure this list can keep going and going and going and going, but we'll stop at this one, sarcasm. Do you really think that it is helpful in building other people up? Now, I, I'm sure, that, I mean, some of you right now are searching for a, an acceptable moment to use sarcasm. If you are, then you're probably a sarcastic person. I'm not saying that there's never, I didn't tease this out all the way, okay, to help make you feel better. I'm not going to give an example. Most of the time, sarcasm is not helpful. Guys, listen, most of the time when we say things that are funny or sarcastic, let's stick with a sarcastic thing. Usually it's just to make ourselves feel good. So who are you building up? Yourself. And what's Paul say? We're to be building others up. So now we have this big long list, okay? And hopefully you feel about this big. Let's keep going. As we can say things, if you're looking for another sub-point, we can say things, true things, And we can say them in a corrupting manner. You could be saying something true straight from the word of God and be saying it in a very corrupting way. Parents, the Bible says you should obey me. Now what if you say that in a context that's very revengeful? That you're upset because your schedule's been altered? Because your kids are not cooperating and you in anger say, you should be obeying me. Listen, you have spoken a corrupting manner. I'm not saying it's never wrong to use like, forcefulness, but if you are serving yourself, you are not building others up. You could very well say something true and be saying it in a way that does not nourish or build up, but rather tears down others, particularly the body. Another sub-point here, I want to make sure you get down, is that when we think about language, do not miss the application of all of this to written language. Contexts, texting, all those. So you gotta think about this. Uh, This is a side note. I didn't, this isn't even in my notes. But listen, if the goal is building others up, then we have to look at even the mediums that we choose to communicate in. This is why, if you've been around me for any measure of time, for many things, I hate texting. Okay? Just hate it. You know why? Because the ability to clearly communicate in a helpful way gets thrown out the window all for the sake of what? Convenience and comfort. For who? You. But to Be very careful. Like if, if there is any need for tone qualities for to watch if there's any need to watch how the other person is responding we're going to get to more of this in a second then texting just doesn't work. Facebook. We can like things that speak in an unhelpful way or use words we shouldn't be using. And when we like it and or share it, we are essentially saying it. Okay, enough on that one. Next one. This kind of speak, this what we're talking about, this this unhelpful, corrupting speak, just defiles the speaker, but it's also destructive of communal life within the body. Paul's implication is this, guys, that any speech, any speech short of being helpful to building up the body will indeed tear down the body. Any corrupting talk will tear down the body. And the last thing I want you to see is that we will give an account for every careless word spoken. Matthew 12, 36. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. In this passage, Jesus is saying that a tree is known by its fruit. Now, here's the the deal. He's not saying that the physical words alone are what's condemning. He's saying that the heart that produced those careless words is the problem. Don't miss that. The Pharisees missed that. So here's the question, right? How are we to speak? I spent like 30 minutes or something like that talking about how we not to speak. How are we to speak? For many of us, this means that for a long while, and maybe forever, we need to use fewer words. Matter of fact, I would strongly recommend that to everyone in this room. But really, though, here's the deal let's not settle for the easy way out, because that's not what God ever does. Let's settle for God's glorious design and purpose. For speaking. God's glorious design. And purpose. For words. So next I want you to see. Is that always speak. In a way. That encourages gospel flourishing. Always speak in a way. That encourages gospel flourishing. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up. Right, there's your standard. I want to get to point two and point three of your standard, but there's your standard. How am I to speak? I'm to speak to that end and that end only. Whether it's with my spouse, it's with my boss, it's with my kids, it's particularly within the church. True in all cases, put an emphasis on it in the church. Always, always, Speak. So, speaking, I got kind of two main thoughts here. Speaking toward gospel flourishing is centered on others and the gospel, not you. So, when you want to get a how do I speak towards gospel flourishing? That means my speaking is going to be centered on others and certainly the gospel and not myself. Because we tend to use our words to build ourselves up. Over this next week, ask this question. A, habit, a good habit that I have gotten into, by God's grace, is anytime I get done with a conversation, <clears throat> I am always reflecting on that conversation. Sometimes to a fault, but I'm replaying in my mind what was said, what was helpful, what was unhelpful? What was truth? What was not? Always. But we tend to use our words to build ourselves up. We tend to use words to build our own kingdom. Listen, I'm going to have this week in House Gun, we're going to read this chapter from a book called "The Relationships, uh, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making by Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane. It would be one of the most helpful things, I think, Outside of the scriptures that any of us will read. And all he's doing is ex- expositing largely this verse. So, some of these thoughts, I'm, I'm going to quote him a couple times here, but I want you to look forward to reading that. But Proverbs twenty-five, eleven says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Did you hear that? Words fitly spoken. Listen, we are representatives of Jesus. We are to make Him present in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Do you realize that? We're to make Him present. In other words, we are to be incarnational. Your words are always in pursuit of some kind of kingdom. The question is, which kingdom are you speaking for? Paul Tripp says this. Speaking as an ambassador is not about using biblical words. It's about speaking with a biblical agenda. Right? So just because you use lots of spiritual rhetoric, right, you have lots of churchy words, doesn't mean you're actually speaking for the king. You could just be speaking for your own display of your own self-righteousness. But speaking with a biblical agenda, we should never say anything that is not helpful to each other. Our biblical agenda should be to build up each other's faith in Jesus Christ. Always. I like what Tripp uses this word. He talks about our talking should be redemptively Constructive. Redemptively constructive. It should be constructing towards redemption. Whether that's in the most little things or the biggest life decisions. We need to consider what, here, here's a question you should be asking all the time Is what I'm about to say going to aid in the work that God is doing, or is it going to be a hindrance? Is just building up or is this tearing down? Guys, neutral is not an option. Or mediocre, or just playing the middle, is not an option. The Bible has a lot to say about idle chatter. Our words should always have a redemptive agenda. Like, that's something to write down and put on your mirror and put on your rear view mirror in the car and write tattoo on your arm. Like, I want to see that, right? Right there. So, so who, who wants to be the first one? Like, right there, or right there if you want to be like Rusty. Uh, redemptive words, redemptive agenda, something like that. And you can put it in Greek. I'm sure there's a way to put it in Greek. If words are not meant for your kingdom, you know what this means? You know what this means? Listen. This means we have to die to ourselves. Imagine that. That means that in speaking, I have to die to myself. I, mean, I think about, uh, spent uh, Friday night camping with with my boys. And we, we get there and try to get set up, and it's raining, right? And if you've ever been camping, it's raining. Those are not too good. Things, the things don't go good together, especially when you're trying to set up. And like I just said so many things that were not aimed. Like they weren't like crazy, like, I mean, I wasn't shouting vulgarities at my five-year-old, but but the words I was saying and the way I was saying them was aimed at serving myself. So let's, again, let's talk a little bit about further what, what this looks like. So if we're going to speak in gospel-flourishing ways, it should be other-centered and not ourselves, I think if you were to catalog your day, you would realize most of what you say is said to serve yourself. Whether it's with your spouse, your co-workers, whoever it is. The second, though, is speaking toward gospel flourishing is shaped by the needs of others, not yours. At least, very generally here. Most of the time. Listen in the next phrase. He says, but only such is good for building up. And then he says this, as fits the occasion. As fits the occasion. So we're talking about building up and what fits the occasion. So we need to learn how to discern the occasion. We need to learn how to discern the occasion. Some of that's A lot of that's wisdom. But how do you grow in wisdom to discern what fits the occasion? Go to the Scriptures. Scriptures have a lot to say about discerning the occasion. We need to be looking intentionally for the right thing to say in the moment. Yeah, it's a lot of work we're talking about here. We must always ask, what is the problem at this moment? moment paul trips encourages us that's how you understand as fits the occasion how are you going to get to what fits the occasion you got to ask what fits the occasion what's best for the moment spouting off may not be what's best for the moment expressing your concern may not be what's best for the moment getting across your need may not be what's best for the moment before we speak we need to always stop and ask ourselves, what is this person in front of me struggling with? And what do they need most? Trip goes on, he says this, does this person need encouragement, comfort, hope, direction, wisdom, courage, rebuke, warning, forgiveness, patience, teaching, correction, thanks, insight, a job description, or something else? What do they need? What do they need? Not what do you need? What do they need? Certainly, there might be a time to speak about your needs. But I think we speak way too often on behalf of our needs because we simply don't believe God has got them taken care of. We're always out to get after our needs. To defend what we want and what we need. Or what I should have. Listen, you can trust God that he's got your needs taken care of. Our words must be shaped by the person's needs. Now don't get me wrong, sometimes this means speaking hard truth. Right? Speaking hard truth. You guys, we've read Hebrews three twelve, agnosium, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Like, exhorting each other. But remember, exhorting, though, is not aimed at making the person into someone who is a reflection of our pathetic glory. It should always be aimed, because that's just serving our needs once again. The exhortation should always have at its focal point this person's love and joy in the Father. That you help them redeem the desires, emotions, and actions in such a way that they reflect God's glory, not yours. And the last big thought underneath this speaking toward gospel flourishing is this. Speak toward gospel flourishing By aiding in the experience of grace. Speak toward gospel flourishing by aiding in the experience of grace. What does he say at the end of 29? Again, this definition. He says that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, listen to me for a moment. Well, for the next many moments. We live in a broken, bruised, dangerous place. We live in a world that is battered and scarred by sin. No exception. Because the Christian life necessarily involves the constant encouragement of others. Has to. Because if your disposition is cynical and critical and there is no warmth and encouragement, you will not lead anybody anywhere in any context. Job, church, family. Like what the guy said, he said, We can sin in two ways by idolatrous commendation, meaning the praise of men, or by failing to commend the commendable. Generally, it's easier to practice affirmation early in a relationship, and it can get harder later. So let me walk you through this grace thing very quickly here. At the very core of our existence is the very fundamental need for grace. Let's work through this very quickly. Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were without hope, right? Hopefully you haven't forgotten that. That we deserved hell. Now go back to the Old Testament. Like The way life is set up in the garden is displaying our very need for grace. The very fact that God designed it such that Adam and Eve would be utterly dependable are dependent on, rather, dependent on God and His favor towards them for everything. Shows them their absolute need for grace. Then we get to the law because Adam and Eve forget this. We get to the law. What does the law do? The law, at least in part, shows mankind His utter need. For the undeserved favor of God because they lovey, huggy, squishy cross, right? Then we like to get to the lovey huggy squishy cross, right? But the cross is first a proclamation of our utter need for grace before it is an art grace. It is first a proclamation that you are totally incapable of pleasing God. That's what the cross says. That you totally need His grace. Without it, you're hopeless. And then Ephesians 2 says, but God saved us what? By grace. By grace. That He showed us the exact opposite of what we deserved. He showed us grace. Now the reality is, is that most of us live as though the only saved, the moment we walked an aisle and I got enough grace to make it to heaven, like that was our moment that we were, thinking about saved, the moment we walked an aisle and I got enough grace to make it to heaven, like that was our, that's the moment we think about grace, but the truth is we need grace today as much as you did the day you were saved, that's part of Paul's future redemption, Paul understands this, at the end of the verse he's going to talk about this idea of future redemption. And he is implying here that we all need grace as we make our way towards redemption. More of that in a few moments. What does it mean to live by grace? Guys, a lot of us think that living by grace means overlooking bad things. No. That's not what it means to be gracious to other people. That you just overlook bad things. Instead, I think how what does it mean to live by grace? According to this verse, it's pointing unbelieving hearts to the gracious Creator of the world, primarily through His revealed Word. That we build them up. What does it mean to experience grace in the body, largely? It means to help build each other up. To speak words that are not corrupting, but instead to speak always towards gospel flourishing, God's character, because we need it, and because that's God's character towards us. The primary way I listen. The primary way I believe that we experience grace is through the speech of the church. One of the most fundamental and primary ways that we experience grace that we need for persevering towards redemption is by hearing it and experiencing it in the church. Just as we believe through the hearing of the gospel of grace, so we also continue believing through the continued hearing. What you need here is grace. Up. And that the words you need to hear, right? This is the implication. So he's telling us to build up, and that the words you need to hear, right? This is the implication. So he's telling us to speak it. That means the implication is that we need to hear it. And what we need to hear is words that are grace to us. And we hear this primarily from the church. What I mean is that if we're going to experience grace, it's largely going to be through the words spoken in the church. Listen, this is why preaching must be grace to those who hear. But I want to, I want to draw your attention to though, Most of the time, this is, this is going to be in short little conversations. This is going to be a simple hi with a smile. This is going to be in different exchanges of true, sincere pleasantries in the middle of a hug. What are we saying in these everyday little moments? This is going to be in the moments over coffee or at dinner or fellowship time at house gathering. What's your conversation sound like? Is it about telling about your day and making your needs known for your day. What's going on? These conversations, experiencing of this grace is going to be in those times of DNA where sin is overwhelming your heart and you need someone to remind you of the gospel that you're not believing in that moment. Let me tell you this, a large place where you should be experiencing grace is during house gathering, during the time of the lesson. Many of us, listen, listen here, okay? Uh, everyone, focus up here. Many of us have the mindset of coming to house gathering to simply be taught more about the passage, okay? Let me, let me help us with something here. That's not our goal. That's why I preach for two hours on Sundays, so you can have plenty to last the rest of the week to think about. The goal in house is to help you apply what you're learning right now better. So, if you want to be grace to those around you, because that's the goal, right? It's not about you going after being built up. That's just selfishness. But how are you going to build other people up during a grand opportunity that you have every single week for an hour and a half, two hours, however long your house gathering goes, to build each other up by speaking words that are grace to them, then what should you do? I just so spelled out. You should listen intently right now. You shouldn't ever miss a podcast if you serve in the nursery. You just shouldn't. Why? Why? Because by doing that, you're saying, I'm coming to house gathering, wanting everyone else to be grace to me, but I don't need to be grace to them. That you should study in between Sunday and your house gathering, and listen, and come prepared with helpful insights. That you can contribute well to the conversation so that you might be grace to those who hear listen i'm telling you some of us avoid cussing and think we've made god happy but we totally miss out opportunities to be grace to those who hear and we have by far not made god happy with that House gathering should be one of the most gracious experiences you have throughout the week, but that doesn't depend on the church leadership or the leader of your house gathering. It depends on you. The discussion depends on you. Do you have something gracious to say that's helpful from the text that we are looking at? He says, letting up as fits the occasion, which is good for building up as fits the occasion. In house gathering, that's the occasion the various words that have been spoken and the, and the questions being asked and the, and the needs of the people around you and, and whether their, their brokenness and, and their struggles and what's going on in their lives and, and the occasion also, what, what else is part of that occasion? The text being studied. So now how do I take all that and discern how to speak into that what is best and what fits the occasion and what is then grace to those who hear? Now listen, I'm not letting the leaders off the hook. The text doesn't let the leaders off the hook. I'm just saying, don't blame it on them. Own it yourself. I'm owning a this in my. I fail at doing this in my own house gathering, often. We should continue. Lastly, I've I've hinted towards this. God has a much grander intent for our words. A much grander intent for our words. They have great power in the now, in the current, but we have to realize that they also have great power for the future. Now listen, this is where we have to be careful there's like this spiritual movement right now in America called like the word faith movement or the word of faith movement. And, and that's where like words can actually, basically we have the ability to bind God by the speaking of our words. And we have the ability to, to make certain things happen by speaking words. And so our tendency I think is to run from that. Like we want to stay as far away from that. And then what we do is we rob ourselves of the beauty of words. Because of that, we kind of just throw the whole thing out of the bathwater, or th- the, throw the baby out with the bathwater. There you go. How's that for a use of words? But our words, though, have an eternal impact on redemption, and we need to keep this in the forefront of our mind. Verse 30 says this: And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve. The Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. A couple quick points here. Relationships involve spiritual warfare. Words involve spiritual warfare. The Holy Spirit is the divine agent of reconciliation and unity in the body. And Paul says that the Holy Spirit is especially grieved when ungracious talk comes out of our mouths. The Holy Spirit is grieved, listen, by anything inconsistent with His nature. And he says we must be sensitive to the one who sealed us for the day of redemption. So this speaking in a gracious way towards building up has some kind of connection with the day of redemption. The second kind of main thought here underneath this is that be motivated by future redemption. Be motivated by future redemption. Reminder of the future aspects of our redemption. Guys, our our redemption's not complete. Like, in one sense it is, in one sense it's not. Why else would we be sealed for the day of redemption? Because there's a part of it that's not done yet. That's why we talk about persevering in the faith. That's God's doing, right? We're not earning anything. But what he's telling us is that we have been sealed for this redemption. That we will be fully and finally redeemed. And we are to live out this future reality now until the day of redemption arrives. And the seal of the Holy Spirit and the future redemption is motivation to live this out now. Listen, show me someone who constantly speaks graciously and I will show you someone who is constantly remembering their future redemption. And the Holy Spirit who sealed him or her let me give you some kind of wrapping up some of these thoughts because i i I know this is a heavy thing language and words is such an important part of our lives right it's what we wake up in the morning doing we wake up in the morning speaking to people we go to work and we speak to people we get on the phone and we speak to people our spouses get home and we speak to people. We have our kids and we speak to them. And We're at church and we speak to people. And we have our neighbors and we speak to people. So let me give you some closing words here. The world of talk is a world of trouble. This was really helpful by Paul Tripp that you, I want you, that you guys are going to read in House Scouting this week. But in talking about James 3.2, let me read this to you. For we... All stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to the bridle his whole body. So what Paul's saying, or sorry, James is saying here, and, and Tripp talks about this like this, says, is, is there anyone who can say that they have been, that they have never been ill-intentioned or inappropriate in what they have spoken? Is there any one of us who can say that? We have all said things that have hurt other people. We have all said things that have not built other people up. We have all lacked in intentionally using words. Don't let this push you away from the trouble of talking. I know some of us right now, I'm just not going to talk. Like that's, our, that's where our heart's kind of recoiling Don't let this push us away from the trouble of talking. If we are honest, our words have probably been as often hurtful as they have been helpful, myself included. James is calling us to admit that our words are the most powerful and consistent indicators of our need for the grace of Jesus Christ. So listen, church. Listen to your words. Listen to your words. Listen to the words that you said this morning. Listen to the words that you said last night. Don't they expose how deep your need is for God's forgiving grace? Mine did this past weekend. We are all the time guilty of turning this gift into a weapon. Because we have to understand, if God was the first to speak, which he was, then he owns words. They are his. Your language, your speaking, the English language, whatever, is not yours. You do not own it. God does. We need forgiveness, and we need help. For some of us, that feels bad. Like it feels like, oh, I don't like to hear that. We need to hear that. We need help. And that's a good thing. If we feel, if you're right in this moment, you feel like, I need help. My words are terrible, or I don't use them well. And you you feel like, I need help help. That's good. Praise God for that. The question now is where are you going to turn? For this we must turn to Christ, who is what? John says. He's the word. That everything that came from his mouth was perfect. That he always spoke with clarity. Guys, watch Jesus, right? Go back, go back and read the Gospels. Watch him, who he's speaking to and how he speaks to them. How the the Pharisees come and try to trap Jesus in certain moments. Watch his master of language. Like how he discerns what to say as best, what fits the occasion best in his grace to those who hear. That meant, like if Jesus is always perfect, that means when he says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, that that was grace to those who heard. That also means when he said to the disciples, how long must I be with you here? That was grace to them. And then the times that he built he bent down and he had supper with the sinners and spoke words to them. The times that he said parables and spoke in a way that some people didn't understand, but other people, his sheep, he knew would. Our picture of what speaking and what this looks like is we need a grander picture. I'll close with this quote from Paul Tripp. He says this. Here is where we all must remember that our relationships, right? This is where word is spoken in relationships. That our relationships have been designed as workrooms for redemption, not shelters for human happiness. If we are ever going to give grace when we talk, we need grace to free us from our bondage to ourselves so that our words may be liberated to be used by God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, may our words, may we see the weightiness of our words. May we see the value of words. And Father, may we see that the value of words is not in and of our, does not come from ourselves. It comes from you, Father. That, that you, because you have spoken first and you own and created the words that we use, that I'm using right this very second, that because of that, they have value. And because they have value, We should use them to reflect your glory. Father, I pray that, that we would be repentant of our lack of using words appropriately and that we would then turn to the grace of the gospel where he spoke every word perfectly and in him we are found and through him he will perfect this in us. But may we experience the graciousness that we all need in the body of Christ as we speak graciously to each other always. The rest of the world's not going to do this for us. And you have designed the church to be the place where we experience graciousness through words spoken to each other. Father, may this be true so that when the nations look upon your people, they would see a people who value words because our Savior spoke to us. It's in his name we pray, amen.